1: Greetings and welcome to the Industrial Alliance First Quarter Earnings Results Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded on Thursday, May seventh, two 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Marianne Bonneau, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
0: Good morning and welcome to our first quarter conference call. All our Q1 documents, including press release, slides for this conference call, MD&A, and supplementary information package are posted in the Investor Relations section of our website at ia.ca. This conference call is open to the financial community, the media, and the public. I remind you that the question period is reserved for financial analysts. A recording of this call will be available for one week starting this evening. The archive webcast will be available for 90 days, and a transcript will be available on our website in the next week. I draw your attention to the forward-looking statements at the end of the slide package. A detailed discussion of the company's risk is provided in our 2019 MD&A available on CDAR and on our website, with an update in our Q1 2020 MD&A release earlier today. I will now turn the call over to Denis Ricard, President and CEO.
2: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the call today. I will first introduce everyone attending the call on behalf of IAE. First, Jacques Potvin, Chief Actuary and CFO. Mike Stickney, Chief Growth Officer. Alain Bergeron, Chief Investment Officer. René Laflamme, in charge of individual insurance and annuities. Carl Mastas, responsible of our mutual fund business and wealth management distribution affiliates. And Sean O'Brien, in charge of our dealer services IO, in home and special risk business. Q1 was marked by the COVID-19 pandemic. This situation had an impact on our results, of course, but more importantly, it had an impact on our people, our employees, our advisors, our clients, and our community. We wish everyone to be safe, healthy, and to follow measures to reduce the spread of this pandemic. And for those of you who are more directly affected by COVID-19, please know that our thoughts are with you. As a result of the pandemic and of the lockdown, we knew that many of our clients were experiencing financial hardship. It was a priority for us to provide various forms of relief to help them in these difficult times. We also wanted to support our communities And since March, IE has made special donations of about $2 million to hospital foundations, health research centers, senior isolation programs, and food banks, among others. As for our operations at IE, from the very beginning, our priority was to carry out business continuity in a manner that would protect the health and safety of our employees, advisors, and clients. We were very proactive in implementing preventive measures, and most of our employees started to work from home prior to the government's request. More than 97, 97% of our employees work from home, a level that was reached very quickly when the COVID-19 crisis started thanks to a vision that started to take place 18 months ago. I am proud and grateful to our employees and distribution networks for their agility in adapting business processes and operations to the new reality very quickly. Our advisors now sell at a distance using the high-performance digital tools that we have developed in the last few years. As a result, our clients are continuing to get a high-quality client experience. On the financial side, despite considerable market turmoil, we managed to maintain our financial strength as well as the excellent quality of our investment portfolio. Our tradition of managing conservatively the balance sheet on both sides, i.e. the asset and liability side, is serving us well. Our solvency ratio increased, and liquidity is adequate to meet all requirements and cash flow needs, and our dividend is sustainable. The current level of our solvency ratio and its sensitivity to the various risks the company face makes us very comfortable, even even during the actual COVID-19 crisis. In other words, our capital position is very strong and resilient to the current situation. This illustrates well IE's operational and financial resiliency. Now looking at the first quarter results, 2020 was off to a very strong start as sales were excellent in virtually all business units. In fact, even with the slowdown that started mid- mid-March, sales results are conclusive and impressive. As for earnings, indicators were green until the onset of the pandemic. For Q1, our core EPS of $1.41 was up 10% year-over-year. On a reported basis, Q1 earnings at $0.30 EPS were affected by macroeconomics and pandemic-related items. We estimate the total impact related to the pandemic, including resulting macroeconomic variations, at $1.12 EPS. Looking forward, we decided to withdraw our 2020 earnings guidance. The effects of the pandemic are multiple, with a wide range of outcomes depending on the duration and the severity of the pandemic, the effect on the economy, and the efficiency of the measures taken by the governments. Due to this uncertainty, in the short term, it would be difficult to accurately predict the various combinations of factors that may impact our financials. Once the situation stabilizes, we intend to reinstate guidance. While we will not be providing specific financial guidance in the short term, we will continue to manage IE prudently and efficiently, with a long-term view and in the best interest of our clients and shareholders. I will conclude my remarks by saying that over the coming months, our focus will be to preserve our financial strength, but also to seize opportunities that may arise from the crisis. I will now let Mike comment on business growth. Following Mike's comments, Jacques will give an update on the earnings and capital, and Alain Bergeron, our Chief Investment Officer, will comment on investments. On that note, I'll pass it over to Mike.
3: Good morning, everyone. The beginning of the year has been very strong in terms of business growth, as evidenced by the 19% year-over-year increase in premiums and deposits. Assets under management and under administration decreased by 3% year-over-year, primarily due to the pandemic and the decline in equity markets at the end of March. Please refer to slide 5 for sales results by line of business. Individual insurance had a strong start to the year with sales totaling more than $45 million. This represents a 10% year-over-year increase, with growth in minimum premium sales of 11%. For individual wealth management, starting with a guaranteed product, sales continue to be excellent, totaling more than $205 million. Segregated fund sales also continue to be robust, with gross sales up 43% year over year. We remain number one in the Canadian industry, with net sales totaling $424 million for the quarter. Of note, more than 90% of our seg fund sales in Q1 2020 And in 2019, we're in low-guarantee products. Moving to the mutual fund business, gross sales were up 27% year-over-year at $693 million. Net sales were positive through early March. During the last weeks of the month, amid economic uncertainty with COVID-19, significant redemptions led to net outflows of $99 million. Sales were also strong in, in group insurance, in the group insurance businesses, totaling $357 million, which represent a 60% year-over-year increase. As for our group savings and retirement sector, sales were up 82% year-over-year for accumulation products, but were minimal for insured annuities. As for U.S. operations, sales momentum remained very strong in individual insurance as they increased by 53%. In dealer services, sales were up 7% and did slow down sort of toward the end of the quarter because of the impact of the uh, pandemic. I will end the sales overview with IA Auto & Home, where written premium continued their steady growth and increased by 12% year-over-year. Year. Prior to the social distancing measures and the lockdown imposed by governments to limit the spread of the pandemic, sales in Q1 ranged from good to very strong. Please see, Please go to slide 6 to see how we expect the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the preventive measures, and the resulting economic turn, downturn to impact sales in our different business units. For some business units, such as seg funds, individual insurance in the U.S., and IA Auto and Home, sales are expected to be only slightly affected, if any. On the other hand, for other business units, such as dealer services in Canada, the decrease in sales may be more important while car dealerships remain closed. With the caveat that April sales cannot be indicative of our sales of the coming month, it is interesting to note that April sales results are in line with, or in some instances, more favorable than expectations that appear on slide six. In any event, the slowdown in some of our business unit sales will only be temporary. Its duration will depend on the evolution of the pandemic and on the success of the actions taken by our governments. As we will emerge from the pandemic, we expect sales to return to the levels seen in early 2020. I I would now like to comment briefly on acquisitions. In January, we announced the acquisition of WGI and Lubrico. These acquisitions will strengthen our leading position in the Canadian vehicle warranties market. Earlier in December, we announced the acquisition of IAS parent holdings. Subject to regular pro- regulatory approval, this acquisition is expected to close in the second quarter. Also in the second quarter, we expect to close the sale of IA Investment Council, which was announced in early March. To conclude, I want to outline that the current situation has been an opportunity for us to leverage our outstanding digital platforms. These platforms are valued by distribution networks as they make their work easier and they will continue to use them in the longer term. In times of crisis, the value of advice becomes even more important and our distribution networks are a valuable asset for the ongoing success of our growth strategy. I will now turn it over to Jacques to comment on Q1 earnings.
4: Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. I will start with our core EPS of $1.41, which increased by 10% year-over-year and was within management expectation, as shown on slide 7. Reported EPS was lower, mainly due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now moving to slide slide 8, where you can see that almost all of the deviations from expectation are related to the pandemic for a global estimated impact of minus $1.12. The bulk of this deviation comes from macroeconomic variations of minus $0.80, cents, including a loss from SEC fund edging program, which Alain will explain later. A second item of importance was a goodwill impairment of $0.22 cents for PPI management. Which mainly stems from the pandemic. Indeed, up to mid March, PPI recent results were in line with our projections. Due to the pandemic, we had to increase the risk premium used in the calculation in the projection discount rate and to acknowledge a temporary decrease in projected future revenues. Policyholder experience, which generate a $0.06 EPS total loss, is detailed on slide 9. In individual insurance, the loss of $0.05 can be explained by unfavorable experience from mortality and policyholder behavior. A loss of $0.02 was also recorded on the disposal of an impaired private bond. Please note that these losses in individual insurance are not related to the current pandemic. In group insurance, the negative deviation results mainly from the unfavorable long-term disability experience. We also increase the provision for future car loan credit losses based on revised projections that take into account the economic downturn resulting from the pandemic. This provision represents an amount of $0.07 EPS and is expected to be sufficient to cover losses that may occur over the next 18 months. As for the other three lines of business, individual wealth management, group savings and retirement, and U.S. operations, experience was very close to expectations. At at IE Auto & Home, experience was much Favorable, more favorable with an $0.11 cents gain due to lower claims in both auto and home insurance. Almost all of this gain was realized prior to mid-March and therefore is not pandemic-related. Strain on new business accounted for 12% of sales for the quarter. This result factors in an adjustment to reflect the first quarter drop in interest rates. Without this adjustment, strain would have been within guidance. Moving to taxes, the company generated a tax recovery during Q1 mainly from the impact of the experience losses that I just mentioned, in addition to a gain due to the company's status as a multinational insurer. Please refer to slide 14 for our capital position. Our solvency ratio continues to stand strong at 137%. The ratio increased during the quarter from a debt issue in February, organic capital generation of 35 million, and the positive impact from interest and market variations. The increase was partly offset by acquisition in January. The edging program loss and the negative impact from credit spread widening. The latter can be explained by the widening of provincial spreads in Q1. As you know, provincial spreads tend to be more stable, which explains that our vector for sensitivity to credit spread is based on corporate credit spread variation only. Overall, As shown on slide 15, the updated sensitivity of our solvency ratio continues to be low. Following the already announced acquisition of IAS and sale of IA Investment Council, our pro forma solvency ratio is 121% above our target range. With the solvency ratio and a leverage ratio of 25.9%, the company is in a robust financial position, which we will continue to preserve. I now want to refer you to slide 17, which will give you some color as to how the COVID-19 pandemic may impact earnings for the remaining of 2020. This slide presents a directional view of the main earnings drivers that may be impacted Positively or negatively by the pandemic in 2020. There may be some headwinds with the COVID 19 situation, most of which will be non recurring and will only have a temporary impact on our business. Additional information on our sensitivities and on potential impact on earnings is provided on slides 18 to 21. I will conclude by pointing out that thanks to the strategies we've implemented since 2008 to reduce our macroeconomic sensitivity, IE is now well-equipped to remain strong in this difficult environment. In addition to our capacity to generate profits, solvency ratio is above target, leverage ratio is sound, liquidity is adequate, and reserves are well-positioned. I will now turn it to Alain, our Chief Investment Officer.
5: Thank you, Jacques, and good morning, everyone. Uh, As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, financial markets became extremely volatile in March. And in the management of IA's investment portfolio, our approach has always been conservative with a long-term view. Our asset allocation, the quality of our assets, our hedging programs are all consistent with this approach. And this explains why since the crisis began, the impact on IE's assets has been so far uh, quite contained in relation to the chaos in the financial market. In addition, the approach, uh, this approach coming into the crisis gives us dry powder. As you know, crisis often creates great investment opportunities, and we entered this crisis in a position to be able to seize some. Today, I will focus on the positioning our investment portfolio, but first, I would like to comment on our hedging program for SEG funds. Our hedging programs was implemented in 2010 with the objective of mitigating the risks associated with our SEG funds with high guarantees. Despite the extreme volatility in the in the market the hedging program did its main job successfully namely protecting our balance sheet indeed during the quarter at its highest point the value of the hedge guarantees increased by 575 million the program performed as expected and this amount was almost entirely offset by the change in value of assets under the hedging program I will now refer you to slide 11. It's important to keep in mind that in the long run, the main goal of this hedging program is not to be profitable, but to reduce risk. That being said, since 2010, the program generated a cumulative gain uh, gains of 77 cents CPS up until 2020. In the first quarter of this year, in the context of the financial turmoil, the program generated a loss of fifty-seven cents EPS, which can be explained by two main items. First, a loss due to the extreme market volatility, and second, a loss due to other risk, mainly the basis risk. Market volatility, uh market volatility risk emerged from the difference between realized volatility. A long-term volatility assumption. And, and In a normal market and volatility condition, the program should cost less than expected and hence generate a profit. But when the markets are highly volatile, they were in March, it's to, uh, to be expected to incur some losses. The more volatility, the bigger the negative impact. This is a nonlinear exposure and the matrix on slide 12 displays this behavior. In the long run, the infrequent but large losses that are incurred during high volatility are expected to roughly equal the sum of the more recurrent small profits. And as you know, uh, the volatility in March was extraordinary. It was the most volatile month in the history of the TSX, uh, for example. The volatility of most equity markets was about 85%, which is quite extreme and explained the results. As for the second part of the hedging loss, during Q1, it mainly comes from the basis risk. Basis risk emerges from the return difference over time between the funds that are held by clients and the hedging instruments in the program. And so the basis risk outcomes can be positive or negative. Now, a few words about the hedging program in April. The volatility in April was still high, but closer to normal. In this context, the April hedging resulted in a loss of less than two million as high volatility was offset by a positive from other risk. Now to conclude on the topic, and despite the loss that we incurred in Q1 with the program, it behaved as expected in these market conditions and as such it met its purpose. It protected IA against large losses of economic value associated with uh, the SEGFOD guarantee. Now, I'd like to, now looking at uh, the overall investment portfolio, Thanks to the general quality of our assets, our diversification, and despite the chaotic Q1, the impact of the COVID-19, uh, on our assets has been relatively well contained so far, and our investment, and our portfolios continue to be well positioned. Slide 22 presents the composition of our investment portfolio. About two thirds of our portfolio is composed of bonds, half of which are government, and the other half Corporate bonds rated triple B and higher. At two per, 32% of overall assets, our corporate bond allocation is lower than our peers. Our direct exposure to the oil and gas sector is less than 1%. Our aggregate bond exposure to sectors such as travel, retailer, automobile, bills, mine, and metals is just over 1%. For As for real estate, almost half of our real estate properties are occupied by IA or by governments. And two thirds of our leases are due for renewal after 2025. So several months ago, uh, we mentioned that we've replaced a significant allocation of our public equity allocation to an option strategy. One reason was to protect the downside against large and sudden market moves, which also made us more effective with with our capital. Now as the market collapsed in March, the strategy behaved as expected and significantly outperform the public equity that they replace. Of course, we need to take risk to generate returns, but by highlighting these facts about our portfolio, I'm hoping that it demonstrates the high quality uh, of of our portfolio. This then puts us in a good position to seize attractive opportunities as they arise. We are now getting paid more for taking risks than a few months ago. We have room. To add high quality corporate bonds in our portfolio and we have already started to make some purchases. At the same time, uh, we're doing so in a very deliberate and prudent manner since we don't know exactly how the crisis would unfold. We always have in mind our capital and believe that to generate risk, to generate attractive risk adjusted return, we need to be very selective in the asset we buy, especially given our long term horizon. Operator, uh, we will now take questions.
1: Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the one four on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the one followed by three. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first question comes from Tom McKinnon with BMO Capital Markets. Please proceed.
6: Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, uh, Good morning. And uh, the first question is with respect to PPI and the impairment taking there. Uh, Is there anything unique to PPI that would uh, – I mean, you've made a lot of other distribution acquisitions. Uh, You talk about uh, sales for individual insurance being lower but uh, um, I wouldn't have thought that would have stressed PPI as much to be able to to lead to the goodwill impairment. So is there anything unique about PPI that would have led to this? And did you conduct the same kind of goodwill tests with respect to your other distribution acquisitions you've made?
4: Thank you, Tom. Uh, Jacques speaking. Uh, I will answer the last part first. Uh, Yes, we did that with all of the other uh, distribution and everything's fine. Uh, about PPI, maybe just to remember what we did last year because it was quite important to remember that the goodwill impairment we took last year was to put us in line with the earnout formula. So it was really the management view when we did the transaction. And like Denis explained at the time that uh, the accounting rule requires us to put a big goodwill so uh, that support the, our view, in fact, because if we take a small goodwill when we made such an acquisition, when there's a, an earnout formula, uh, if the, the I would say the scenario proved to be ex- exactly what we were expecting, we will have to take a loss. So, if you remember well, we took a goodwill impairment, but the earnout formula was a positive for us. Once that said. Uh, what is happening with PPI right now is happening with all, I would say, MGAs into uh, Canada and even the U.S. is that uh, uh, distributors have to move from face-to-face meeting to non-face-to-face meeting. Also, keep in mind that PPI also do business in the very high-end market, and in that market, it's impossible to do medical tests right now. So, really, the impairment is really temporary in regard of revenue. We see those revenue reducing for 2020, probably 2021. However, what we have to play with here is really an accounting rules, And that accounting rule uh, normally should be for permanent impairment. Business-wise, we see that as being a temporary impairment, but Unfortunately, we have to follow the accounting rule. The other element, like I mentioned in my allocution, is really the risk premium. As the spread widened uh, a lot, Uh, we need we had to recognise that into the accounting formula for the test of impairment. So that's really what explained PPI.
2: Yeah, maybe if any here, I just want to add something. And as Jacques mentioned, the, the accounting rules are the accounting rules. And the matter of fact is that uh, they are one-sided, to, and it, this is a uh, you know pretty good example where we believe that you know long-term the value of PPI is not diminished, but because uh, you know the accounting rules forces us to look at you know the short-term um, in, impact on the uh, cash flows or revenues, and also at the same time uh, assume let's say a higher discount rate. Well, we needed, we had to take a, you know, a hit. Now, when things go back to normal, guess what? Uh, the accounting rules will not allow the organisation to put back the value in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the, the balance sheet. So it's a one-sided, uh, you know, rule, and we have to abide by that. But for us, what is more most important is that we don't believe that uh, there is a permanent, uh, you know, decrease in
6: value w- when we think long term. Okay. Thanks for that. And you mentioned that PPI, uh, you know, with no medical tests for high net worth, it's really making sales difficult. Uh, You did give a little bit of color on April sales, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit more in terms of, uh, um, I think you said they're just doing better than expected, but uh, um, maybe you can provide a little bit more color um, by some of your lines of business.
2: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think I'm going to ask Mike to, or even Renée, to to go over the specifically the individual lines, but also at the same time review some of the other lines for April.
3: Um, sure, I'll I'll take it on. Um, so, uh, going by line of business, uh, individual insurance in Canada. Had very good results in April. We we're plus plus 14 percent, but that's probably not indicative of what's coming. We expect that to kind of uh, trend down because there's a lag in the sales processes. I'm sure you're aware. Aware. Seg fund sales are up 11 percent in April. These are year o- you know year over year numbers. Mutual fund gross sales plus 5 percent. Employee plans plus 1 percent. The uh, dealer business. Overall is down 64 um, percent. No real change in GSR. Uh, SMS off 7 percent, and that's going to trend down because the travel insurance market is kind of dried up for now. U.S. Life is up 48 percent, and uh, you know basically what's happened in the U.S. in the life business is we had a very strong year last year, as you know, and it trended up uh, a lot in the second half of the year, and that trend is just continuing. And uh, so, and uh, I guess on top of that, we've been, um, you know, we've been selling through call centers for a number of years and we sort of built up capability to support remote sales like other than face-to-face sales. So that's really kind of become a powerful tool, obviously, in this market. Uh, my, own, my own view is there's probably a bit more demand out there for final expense type products, given obviously people are feeling at risk. And the other issue that's going on working on our advantage is you know, as Denny said at the outset we we move to work work from home pretty quickly, right across the board you know in the u s as well, and some of our competitors in this market in the in the u s life are struggling you know they've they've moved uh to work from home too, but their service is pretty poor, so we're picking up business that way too, and then finally our u s dealer business is off fourteen percent in April.
6: Thanks for the color.
1: Our next question comes from Scott Chan with Canaccord Genuity. Please proceed.
7: Uh, good afternoon. Um, so just going back to the uh, the U.S.-based IAS uh, vehicle warranty uh, acquisition, um, and maybe educate maybe us a little bit on, on kind of pre-COVID and post-COVID uh, within that industry and maybe related to, uh, to IAS.
2: I guess Mike, you can take that one.
3: Yeah, Mike, stick to Um Basically, you know, our view is that um, that the, the IS business and our U, U.S. dealer business in general, you know, it's, it's going to track car sales, and uh, car sales are have slowed down, um, you know, starting in late March. And interesting about the U.S. is there's a lot of good data uh, in. <clears throat> You know, on this market, it's studied extensively, and we've been uh, looking at a few of these reports. And and one in particular we've been relying a lot on is J.D. Power, which publishes weekly. And basically, car sales right now are based off um, about 50%. This is in the month of April, on a week-by-week basis, and uh, but it's trending up. So the expectation is that. It's going to improve through the uh, balance of this year. And, uh, you know, if, if things resolve themselves reasonably well with the pandemic, say, by the end of the year, uh, you know, they're, they're projected to be close to normal, say, by the, by that time, say, at the end of the year. Um, and we expect our sales to kind of track pretty closely to the car sales
7: and just on the um I guess on the Canadian side with the um non prime uh, car loan portfolio, uh you talk about loss rates over the trailing twelve
6: months, but have you noticed anything uh in Q1 and have you stress tested the portfolio um in a worst case scenario if this pandemic uh is uh, is extended? Again, this is uh, I will uh, leave it to Sean.
8: Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is Sean here. Um so when the uh, so the, the first part of the question, no, the losses uh, haven't uh, haven't hit yet. They probably won't hit until Q4. Um, uh, you know, we're deferring customers as they call in. Um, uh, we've got a pretty strict deferral process. But what we used on the uh, assessment of the provision was we just looked at the uh, portfolio and sort of uh, uh, we used Fort McMurray as kind of a proxy, where you know in a total sort of industry shutdown, there's about 25% of the customers' credit credit we're looking at deferrals to that period. And then we looked at our own experience on deferrals, which is a a tool we've had in our belt for quite some time. And we said, you know, typically a customer that has a deferral over the life of that loan, will see about a 50% increased uh, loss over the expected. Uh, then we applied that to our expected deferral rates of, of 25%, which probably won't go that high, but uh, potentially. Um, and that's how we came up with the, the provision that we took in Q1 of 9.7 million. The losses itself won't actually, they'll, you know, come in probably later this year. It'll, And as it's, the it's gradual return to work, I expect we'll see a gradual increase of losses as people um, realize where their their actual financial situation. We're also seeing early signs of some some relief. You know, the COVID relief has been helping. Our customers are taking extensive use of that, and also uh, um, shows the unexpected force savings that our customers are seeing as well, just uh, given their, their their isolation. But uh, that's that's what we're seeing on that side. Okay. Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Paul Holden with CIBC World Markets. Please proceed.
9: Hi. uh, Good morning. Uh, So, two questions. Um, First is with respect to IA Auto and Home. Obviously, you printed positive experience in Q1. Given the premium relief measures that I'm assuming started in Q2, should we reasonably expect... Uh, experience to be more neutral uh over the next couple quarters
10: this is,
11: uh, uh, Jean?
8: Uh, go ahead sean uh, yeah yeah it's, uh, it's sean here yeah the, the the although we are giving back uh, you know as a direct insurer we are giving some premium relief to our customers but the uh, the positive impact on uh because of the lower claims given customers aren't driving and they're keeping it close on their homes um is more than offsetting the uh the the benefits. so it'll uh Um, we're still expecting a strong year for for home and auto.
9: Okay, got it. That's uh, that's helpful. And then with respect to IAS, wondering if you can comment on thoughts around purchase price consideration. Obviously, you're not going to give us any specifics there, but
10: given the
9: change in environment, is there an opportunity to... Uh, negotiate or have a further negotiation around uh, transaction value
2: Uh, it's denny here Uh, i I want to reiterate that uh, you know we are committed to uh, to finalize the deal it's not closed yet and because it's not closed yet you know it's uh i I don't think we should at this point uh, add, add anything to it but we are certainly committed to to finalize it you know based on the information that you already know
9: okay fair enough Sorry, I, I will ask one more, and that's with respect to the hedging program. So, within your prepared remarks, um, you commented that it behaved as ex- as expected in in Q1 despite um, the losses. But within um, within your news release, you also made some references to some changes. I think that are being made um, post March or, or at some period in March. Can, can you discuss what changes have been made to the hedging program, whether it's on Seg funds or on the VA? Yes. Yeah. So, Ale, I leave it to you.
5: Yes. Yeah. Sure. So, on the, I mean, we've made some some uh, improvements, and we're still working on some others. But, but I don't want to send the message that if we were having quarters like Q1, then we wouldn't have that type of experience. So we've made improvements at the margin. We had uh, several initiatives, like a, a lot of things are important to us. We are improving them over time. Uh, so when the volatility hits, some of them we've, uh, we've simply and put more resources there to accelerate and, and we've got some benefits uh, from that. I'll give you a couple of examples. One of them is uh, on the operational uh, side of, uh, of things. So uh, we have been invested in some of our risk system and ability to understand uh, more rapidly the, the, the risk exposures as they are changing dynamically. So increasing the speed the speed of that has been something that's been uh, helpful. Uh, the second. Is uh, we have a list or a series of instruments that we're using for hedging. Uh, There was, and then I can't be too specific here, but I'll say that there was one of them that we have been looking, trying to find for a while, and the team has been working on. And we we finally found a way to add that instrument in a way that uh, was not prohibitively expensive, and that uh, that that would improve future results. Uh, I know it's not exactly what you say, but I think uh, another test is uh, the month of April. And, uh, the month of April was fairly volatile. Maybe not quite as March, but fairly volatile. And, uh, we experienced overall, uh, a loss of two million dollars. So the volatility being high led to something consistent with the matrix that we've put on the slide. But then some other risks like the basis risk, uh, was positive.
9: Okay, I'll leave
1: it there. Thank you for your time. Our next question comes from Manny Grauman with uh, Cormark Securities. Please proceed.
12: Hi, good afternoon. First question is on slide six. You note that uh, in the U.S. dealer services business that you don't expect it to be as affected as Canada. And I'm just wondering, what are the, the factors that are driving that uh, relative? Uh, performance u s versus Canada or the expectation of the relative performance um,
3: <clears throat> well i I guess um uh, it's Mike sticking here um you know the way I look at it is you know obviously there's two different countries uh... It's, the, things are a little different in the u s um, uh, there's been you know the the whole political environment's different there's less of a social safety net, and there's just more pressure too for the economy to open up and and so a good example here in Phoenix is car dealers, car dealerships rather, never shut down any time over you know since COVID started up. And, and car sales are only in you know and this JD Power thing I referred to earlier. They actually report on car sales by you know major cities, and car sales in Phoenix have only, are only off 25 percent through uh, let's say through April. And you're seeing similar results in Texas. Uh, and so when I compare that to Canada, a lot of car dealerships are closed in Canada or have been, and they're just starting to open up now. So, you know, our our view is that, uh, you know, things sales will be slower in Canada as compared to the U.S., uh, just, just kind of based on <clears throat> the
12: data we're seeing. Okay. And then, uh, Denis, uh on the last call you talked about the expectation for elevated expenses, Uh, in 2020 to uh, increasing investment in productivity and growth and then also the implementation of IFRS 17. So I'm wondering how you would revise that outlook on expenses uh, given everything that's happened and your outlook.
2: Well, obviously, with what happened, we had to uh, look again at our plan for 2020 uh, looking forward. And uh, we have uh, changed some of our priorities, obviously, everything that has to do with improving the, uh, you know, the distribution experience like uh, non-face-to-face, end-to-end processes. Um, we've uh, put our money there because it basically, you know, we we want to make sure that the revenue are, uh, are going to be there. Um, even though we had already started a lot of uh, digital initiatives over the last uh, several years, um, we have accelerated the investments that we're making there so uh, you know we uh, you know at this point we uh, we are tightening up uh, our expense uh, expenditure, uh, but we are reallocating it towards uh, where is it that it's going to make much a difference in the COVID environment.
12: Okay, and, and then just finally for me, what's the risk of elevated claims coming down the pipe uh, from COVID specifically in, in special? Uh, market Solutions Group, but I don't know if there's any other areas, like the, the travel part of that. Are there big claims that we could potentially see from that uh, from that business?
4: Uh, Jacques speaking. No, uh, for uh, SMS uh, division, uh, pretty much everyone are at home, they are not traveling. It's very shortened uh, businesses, so we're not uh, exposed to that kind uh, of travel experience so uh, we would be pretty good with that
2: yeah i know i know that you know in the industry there were some concern about the uh, you know the cancellation of trip insurance type of uh, you know uh, benefit uh, but uh, we we don't have a you know much, much exposure there
12: thank you
1: our next question comes from doug young with desjardins capital markets please proceed
7: Hi. Good afternoon. First question is for Jacques. And just on slide 18, just the equities backing liabilities, it looks like the floor moved down to 11,700 versus 13,000. So you've got a buffer of about 13% before you'd have to strengthen reserves. Did you actually strengthen reserves this quarter? Just trying to get a sense of why there was that move from 13 down to 11.
4: Uh, Thank you, Doug, for the the question. Uh, That 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 part is a little bit complex because the metric we're providing on that slide is the TSX. However, our real exposure is comprised of private equity, of uh, options that replicate equity, Canadian equity, and we have a small part of Canadian equity. So the trigger, uh, and as an example, private equity didn't go down uh, as much as public equity in Q1. So that's why uh, we look overall at all the decline of our portfolio, and we make uh, an estimate what's the decline in the metrics that is equal to where the, the trigger will play. But in reality, in the quarter, things will move differently from all those parts. So that's really what happened here. So the good news here is even during the worst of the crisis in Q1, we still had not deplete the stock buffer entirely. So which is a great news. And the other information I will provide because I promised that to many investors I had discussion with uh, during March is that if ever Okay, market goes very bad uh, again. Uh, What uh, we're providing, if that trigger is, uh, I would say, uh, rich, we are providing the sensitivity uh, of the impact on uh, reserve strengthening. Okay, fair
7: enough. And then second question, just on the hedging, the 57-cent hedging, just maybe I can, the way I think about it, it, the 31 cents is essentially the slippage because I think you dynamically hedge and the volatility was so significant you had to trade around that and you don't use put options you use short equity futures uh, correct me if i'm wrong and therefore that's right. because of that volatility that that's where that's the 31 cents is that correct
9: yes
7: yeah okay then the 26 cents is just the difference between your hedging the market and um Versus the actual performance of your funds, so that's the other component. Do I do I have that right?
5: I would say 95 percent. Right, the other part is the uh, I guess it's, it's the hedging instruments that. Uh, so, for example, a, a manager could have a benchmark of the TSX Composite, but it's expensive to trade in and out of the composite. So we trade it in the and uh, the TSX 60, and so. Uh, there's a small spread at normal time, and in and, and a crisis when there's big volatility, these small, even though they're highly correlated, these small basis, the small basis risk can uh, can increase, and, it, and and that's part of that other number.
7: So in the first part, uh, have you thought of, or have you shifted over to use more put options, where volatility is more embedded in, and so you don't have that same level of risk, or is it still too pricey
5: to do so? Yeah, no, you're right. This is at the center. I mean, if I take a step back, the goal of the program, yes, is to protect the company against extremely unfavorable markets, and it's done that, right? But the second is the, to do that at a reasonable cost in the long run. And, and, and then buying a lot of volatility um, or like buying puts or, or selling or buying exotic options to offload to that risk, uh, makes it quite costly in the long run. Um, so that's the balance that we have to, 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 uh, to uh, reach and that's, these discussions are happening. Uh, they've, uh, they happen between the actuaries, the business lines, the investment department. And, and, but to put it in perspective, if you look at the t- last, uh, 10 years, even with this Q1, uh, there's still a 20 cent, 22 cents of EPS. That's called it in the money. But what this also masks is that the year after year, cost of, of running that strategy is lower. But but this is a, a continuum, and and finding exactly the optimal place is is a, is, a, is a challenge. But we've like they call it the departments involved. have have deemed that that uh, we we are aiming for a long a, a relatively low long term cost. So I guess
7: it's the argument against pricing in the product versus pricing in the hedge. So the put options are still too expensive to essentially implement in this. So you, you, is there discussions about having changes in the pricing of the product?
5: Maybe Jacques, I'll let you answer this one. Yeah, actually, uh, Doug,
4: you you're, uh, yes, yeah, yes, uh, the, the pricing of the product was fixed at, uh, the beginning when we sold. And we're speaking here about legacy product, okay? uh, we have to remem- remember, that because the, the sales we make nowadays have, uh, lower guarantees. So, uh, but, so pricing of the product were there. And like Alain mentioned, long-term uh, long-term uh, costs versus short-term volatility. That's really the trade-off we need to do here, and that's what we we did. And the the program worked as expected. Yeah, it's Denis here.
2: Okay. I just want, uh, it's Denis here. I just want to you know on slide 11, as as you've seen, when we look at the history of the performance of that program. Um, we are quite pleased and, uh, you know, we, we've just experienced the worst and the extreme and the, the, the worst of the extreme. But when you look at the, all the other quarters, um, you know, we've, we've benefited all in uh, up to up to now. Um, but I think the program does its job. I mean, there's a pro- compromise to be done. I mean, at some point, you may want to hedge uh, everything, but the cost would be so prohibitive that, uh, you know, it's, there's no point. Here is that we are accepting some kind of volatility um, for the, the the program to be uh, cost effective at the end of the day. But you know, this quarter was was the worst of the worst.
7: Fair enough. Fair enough. And then just lastly, the you know tax rate in the quarter, um, you know on on a, on a net or reported basis was was a recovery. When I look at the buck 41, you know, what what's the embedded tax rate in that, Jacques? Or, or what's the tax rate if we were just to back out all the experience losses? Because it sounds like that's where the tax impact came through.
4: If we were to re- remove all those losses, the tax rate would be favorable. Uh, we, de- we disclose uh, again a four cents coming from our status as a multinational insurer. Apart from that, it would have been right on within the guidance.
7: So in, in line. So if we on your 41 cents, it's in line with guidance then, and then that four cents game. Is that a recurring item or is that just a one-time item that you recognize
5: this quarter?
4: You know what? Uh, we, we I, I think we discussed the, our status as a multinational every quarter. Uh, there will always be fluctuation. Okay? There will always be fluctuation. So we see that as a fluctuation. Okay. Good. Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from uh, Steve Tario. With Eight Capital, please proceed.
10: Thanks very much. Jacques, just to complete the loop on the tax rate, you know, when we've talked in the past, you've talked about your that status ultimately helping the tax rate over the medium term. So, like, is there the potential for that tax rate guidance, which I think was 20 to 22%? Like, we're, we're talking about it every quarter. Like, th- is there a view that that will go lower ultimately?
4: Uh, you can rest assured that we're working to. Uh, we will always work to bring that as low as possible. However, what we provided in our guidance was really with all the initiatives we have in mind. What would be our expectation? So uh, this was the best we can we can do in t- for 2020.
10: Okay. Okay. Um, and I wanted to ask a follow-up or two on the subprime. Auto business. So you gave some numbers there, but th- does, does the the hit you took this quarter does that? If I'm doing the math right, does that imply the loss rate, ri- the losses, the loss rate rising from you know the five and a half you're seeing today that maybe hasn't gone up yet to sort of six and a half or seven percent? Is that sort of what you you you've got in your numbers, and, and as bad as you expect the losses to get over the next sort of twelve to eighteen months? Sean,
8: you yeah, want to come in? Sean, yeah, the, the 7% number is roughly where we see it peaking uh, well, when the losses start to come in. So, yeah, I think your math is uh, your math is good on that.
10: Okay. And in terms of the deferrals, can you give us a sense of
8: what level of deferral you've seen in that book uh, up until now? Yeah, so, I mean, the deferral process we're doing is it's uh, one month only. Uh, we have to – the customer has to reach out to us. The customer does have to make a principal payment to engage it. So, uh, so it's kind of a handhold to assess the situation month to month. Um, and so far, we're running uh, uh, under twenty percent um, cumulative uh, deferral so far that we've seen, and the requests are coming off substantially in the last uh, recently. So it's, uh, it appears to impede. peak.
10: Okay, thanks for that. And then last thing yeah. for me, yep. um, probably for Jacques, in terms of uh, the, sol- the solvency sensitivity disclosure on slide thirteen, can you just talk briefly? Maybe it's complicated, but. Uh, why the credit spread sensitivity went to zero across the board.
4: Good observation, Steve. Actually, uh, it took that big <laughs> widening of spread during Q1 to discover that the, the vector we tabled at uh, last quarter was missing an element. Uh, actually, uh, when there's – and here we're speaking about corporate uh, spread. Uh, We're not speaking Mm -hmm. about provincial spread. So there's two, there's two uh, legs to it. Uh, One in the present value of Mm PFAD, the other one in the solvency buffer. So uh, all in all, net, uh, our sensitivity is really zero there. It's only that what we provided in Q4 was missing one part. Okay, thanks for
9: that.
1: Our next question comes from Gabriel Deschen with National Bank Financial. Please proceed.
13: Uh, good afternoon. Uh, just to confirm something on this old Goodwill uh, write-down stuff, uh, w- the sense I'm getting is it's largely related to sales and profits. you off those sales. And as it relates to, like, DAC, uh your as long as the sales progress as you know you were kind of describing earlier, you don't think there'll be a a good oil write down? Not at all. Okay, and and I mean it hasn't closed yet by IES. Is it uh, similar uh similarly positioned?
4: Like Danny mentioned earlier, the transaction has not been closed yet, so we will keep quiet on that one for the moment all right um now slide 17 i
13: think it is here yeah slide 17 pandemic related impacts uh you know you did have some negative experience items uh in in the quarter in individual insurance and group uh just wondering you know what you're thinking the the, the illustration here has uh three negatives to two negatives so it's one of the worst things I guess that could happen um, in this list so what in the quarter do you see as maybe a, a recurring issue and if you can describe those and then what new issues do you foresee uh, materializing in the next few quarters as far as uh, you know policyholder behavior and, and the other stuff goes please
4: Okay, perfect. Jacques, uh, Jacques speaking. Um, I would take uh, Q1 first. So when I look at Q1, uh, and you have, uh, I would say, uh, the information on the front slide here, it can be complex to follow. In Israeli insurance, uh, it's uh, mortality and lapse, uh, half and half, and here, I would say that uh, we see that as, a, as being a blip for, for the moment. It's not a trend. Uh, that's not the way we see it. Is it COVID-related? I will give you only an example for lapse. There's one big policy that was lapsed laps last year that was reinstated in Q1 and that cost uh, one cent. And was a cli- as a client changes mind because of COVID-19, we will never know. So we don't know for that. If you look at groups, uh, experience in Q1. You have the car loan provision we discussed about. You have the mm-hmm. disability. So disability, long-term disability was negative, uh, in Q1. However, in April so far, we are doing fine. So, uh, we, we saw that as being a blip. So Q1 is really a blip and IAH is not related, like we said, also is not related to COVID. We had such great experience, uh, before the mid-March. Mm-hmm. When I look, Looking forward on slide 17 about the minus, 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 minus minus. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really pandemic-related. It's not the normal, I would say, gain and loss uh, we will experience. It's really the pandemic-related. And here, what we want to say here, mortality will, uh, because of pandemic, mortality we will have, it's manageable, what we're expecting, but mortality won't be positive. We expect with the the social distancing measure that it will put pressure on disability, Uh, like Mike explained on dealer, if We are not uh, doing business. Uh, Profitability will reduce. Uh, Well distribution is tougher to make uh, recruitment of new people. It was already included, and this this sign those is in relation with uh, the guidance we provided uh, at the end of the year. So we wanted to give you the directional and kind of magnitude idea compared to our original guidance. That's what we uh, provide there. And we, we spoke all, uh, also about SMS, special market solution. Nobody is traveling, so we won't sell business. We won't make profit there. So there all small elements that will add up. Yes, Denny here.
2: I, I want to just add one thing to this slide. Uh, obviously, this slide, you know, one number that is very important is the uh, is the number of the first line, which is 2020. We're talking about 2020, in fact, we were trying to show you, um, you know, our thinking in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, let's say during the COVID-19. Uh, the other very important line is the fact that we believe that in our business model, post-COVID, uh, there's a no permanent damage. So it's a it's a way for us to to tell you, okay, during the post-COVID, uh, sorry, during the the during COVID, which we don't know. I mean, you and I, we don't know exactly how long this is going to last. But during the COVID-19. This is the kind of um, uh results that could happen, but we still believe that uh, you know getting out of this crisis that our business model is strong and that we, you know we we're gonna get get back to where we were
13: before okay and and just a quick one the i forget if it was discussed, the impairment uh, the two cent item can you describe you know what asset sector et cetera that was related to?
4: Actually, it was a private bond that we were owning that we already impaired a few times in the past. We finally sold that, that asset, okay. but we sold sold it at a lower value than the book value.
5: Gotcha. Thank you. Our
1: next question comes from uh, Darko Mahalic with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed.
11: Hi, thank you. Just uh, uh, a couple of questions here first we I would note that the AMF seems to have harmonized with OSFI um on a number of uh of issues, including suggesting that you're not supposed to raise dividends and buyback stock. But I'm curious if the um if the market volatility has and given you know the results of your hedging program, I'm curious if there's anything else the AMF is considering um, you know, with respect to um, y- your operations, and specifically with seg funds, uh, and uh, and the relief you get from the capital perspective, is there anything else that uh, you- you've had in terms of conversations with the AMF um, with with um, possible changes coming forward from from the pandemic?
4: For the moment, uh, Jacques speaking. Uh, for the moment, no. Not at all. Like I mentioned in my uh, introductory note, uh, we have a very strong capital position, even with pro forma, and uh, actually, what we did, we, we ran a test, uh, it's uh, shown on uh, slide 21. We, run, we ran scenarios in which we were doubling the, I would say, the, the, the population infected in Canada in the U.S. compared to uh, what it is right now, what we're seeing right now. Uh, we uh, put the TSX at uh, 9,000. Uh, we reduce interest rate, long-term interest rate, by a national 1%. And even under that big st- stress test, we still end up with a capital ratio that is above 117. So we are in a very good position. So we are not in discussion with uh, the regulator on, on those stuff. Okay, and
11: my second question is going back to the car loans. Um, surprising, it, it, it's, it's somewhat surprising that the the peak loss rate is considered to be 7%, um, and if you're already at a 20% deferral. Uh, so the question is, if you start to, I mean, what does it take to, to re, at, what, at what loss rate would you be required to build another reserve? Or maybe, maybe let me ask you a different way. Um, if if I assume seven percent annual loss, is that the size of the reserve against the seven hundred and sixty million dollar loan book? Is that the way I should think about that?
8: The, uh, the reserve we're building right now is it, we're, the measure we're using outside of our regular provision method, which looks at a three month sort of loss rate. Is the uh, deferrals that we're applying to it? So we're. I'm going to watch that deferral rate pretty close, um, just to see where it flows through. Again, it really comes down to how quickly uh, do people come back to work, and to what level does the sort of the uh, you know the unemployment numbers sort of settle in at. But uh, yeah, we it's again the uh, the provision is is packed in around. It's it's based on the deferrals, um, but the peak loss rate would come in around seven percent. If that answers your question.
11: Okay, so so when you say peak loss rate, I mean, uh, I, I guess where I'm going with this is is if we see the the loss rate rise materially, like next, next month or month after, um, you know, is this like an actual I guess the question is, is it an actuarially created reserve, or is this a is this like a loan loss accounting reserve that you guys have built here?
4: Uh, uh, Dr. Jacques speaking. Actually, what we looked at uh, in the past, there, like Sean mentioned earlier, we already has been in a situation where we were we were providing clients with deferral in such uh, financial hardship, and we had that experience. So we know what was the real loss following those kind of crises. So here what we did, we used uh, the number of deferral that was there, we put some margin on it, so we put, we worked with more than 20%. For now, we are lower than 20%, like Sean mentioned, and we applied the loss, the expected loss, con- uh, based on past experiences in past crises. That's really what we did. So it's kind of an accounting way. There's no creativity here. So it's our really the best thing, the best value we can put as a provision. Yeah. right so
11: I guess we're in, yeah, where I'm going with that is, is as you have a loss um, you you will uh, recognize the loss and, and, and write down the reserve rather than having some sort of a, a,
4: a loss yeah. versus expected loss kind of thing right is it, is it? I would say I would say yes I, uh, Darko, uh Jacques speaking again, I will say yes to that, but we will continue to monitor the number of deferrals and all that as well. So there, there could be provision uh, adjustment as well. So you're right saying that if there's no additional deferral, that's exactly what you're explaining. Okay. Uh, uh, <clears throat>
2: just, just a precision. If there is no additional deferrals versus the scenario uh, of the provision i mean it's because we are more correct. conservative yeah, in, in yeah. the
11: number of uh, deferrals that we've used okay and what's the assumption on car
8: values we haven't uh, we haven't adjusted the the uh, used car value uh, expectation uh in the for uh, the provision at this point okay all right yeah. thank you
1: Our next question comes from Sumit Maholtra with Scotia Bank. Please proceed.
14: Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, two hopefully quick ones. Uh, first off, for Denny, you were asked about uh, pricing for the IAS acquisition earlier. I, I want to ask one very specific question uh, Did this transaction include any material adverse change clause that does allow you to uh, go back and either renegotiate or perhaps even? walk away if the if the economic environment or other assumptions in the transaction have changed th- does that clause exist in this in this transaction uh
2: because uh, we have not closed yet um, I will reiterate that you know I don't want to make any comment at this point
14: okay uh, that's that's plain enough and then uh, the last one is on uh, on page 19 likely for uh, for Jacques uh Certainly, from from uh, the time Denny took over, it was a communication that the company wanted to reduce its its interest rate sensitivity, and we we see that with the with the IRR two parter here. Uh, IA has historically been ahead of peers in in reducing any uh, ultimate reinvestment rate uh, assumption for uh, for what's going to be mandated. Is that something you're considering in the in the near term? And secondly, I, I can see the IRR is now is now down to zero but is there any uh is there any aspect of of the business that you would highlight to us as as being uh particularly impacted in the in the very near term by what's happened with the uh the, the long end of the curve in, in the last few months
4: thank you sanet uh, about URR for the moment, uh, what I'm hearing from the Canadian Institute of Actuary, I don't see there will be a URR change. That's what I see, uh, I'm hearing, but I will continue to monitor that. I, there's no final decision, uh, there. Uh, the thing is that, like you see on that slide, we, uh, we, uh, uh, the impact for us is on this, uh, 66 million. Uh, about IRR, we have to keep in mind that we are targeting zero every quarter. However, in real life, we add, we are adding new business. There is some management action, and policyholder behavior is slightly different from our uh, expectations. So there will always be some noise here. So uh, we are targeting zero, but the the reality we will be probably between one, uh, uh, Plus or minus five million is acceptable for us as the tolerance on that, and uh, we're quite pleased with the situation we're uh, in regarding the interest rate, with the the, the rate that decreased a lot uh, recently.
14: Thanks for your time.
1: There are no further questions at this time.
2: Okay, so I will, I will conclude. Uh, I think it's important uh, uh, just to uh, mention here, I mean, I, <laughs> in 2008, at the, during the crisis, um, I, the, at the time, was the CFO of the company. And I have to tell you that I feel much, uh, I would say, even more com- optimistic uh, today versus our balance sheet strength. Um, we are very strong We've done a lot of uh, initiatives since then, you know, like the IRR hedging or the Sec Fund guarantees hedging since 2008. That makes us quite optimistic about the future. And in fact, when you look at 2008, uh, we have rebounded. Um, you know, it, it didn't take long for the company uh, to come back to uh, you know the uh, original uh, uh, profitability of the company. So we have resiliency even more today uh, than before. Our strategy of the various business lines uh, are intact. Um, we will go through this uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis. We, we probably get out of this even more stronger in our business model because we are uh, investing in digital capabilities like never, never before. And so we are ready to seize the opportunities. So with that said, that's my conclusion. And I will leave the final thought to marie Annick. She's got a message for you.
0: To conclude this call, as mentioned in our earnings press release of this morning, please note that due to the pandemic, our investor day, which was planned for June 5, 2020, is postponed. A new date will be determined when appropriate, based on guidance from health and governmental authorities. Also, I would like to remind you that our annual general meeting will be held virtually this afternoon at 2 p.m. Thank you, everyone.
1: That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.